Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Paul says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest, <clears throat> manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always, always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at the Great Commission from being sent out in Acts 13 through 14, um, connecting with people to the connect to Christ, discipling them after they received Christ and been baptized, and then raising up leaders to continue the process and then reporting back. We saw that great span of the Great Commission from Antioch with Paul and Silas, uh, Paul and Barnabas, all the way back to Antioch. Then last week we looked at the foundation for maximum impact, our lives to adorn the doctrine of Christ in Titus 2 and 3. And so now this morning we want to look at the other wing of the airplane here, uh, our lives now connected with our words, our words. Because the gospel is good news. And news, after all, must be believed. And Romans 10 reminds us, how shall they hear, right? And so it's not just a seeing of our lives that have been changed by Jesus, as important and as foundational that is for maximum impact and to show the integrity of the gospel and influence, but also the news that they must believe that Christ has died for sins, having lived a perfect life, that he was buried, he was dead, and he has risen again as victorious. News that must be believed. But the question then comes, as was posed there when our first um, Sunday, when we looked at the Great Commission, how do I participate? How do I find my niche in this Great Commission? What can an ordinary group of believing people do to make sure that outsiders hear of Christ? This text we look, we're going to look at this morning and already read uh, assumes that the church is committed to not just our lives as a witness, but our lips as a witness to the saving message. Certainly understanding that not everybody is going to be called to the same intensive role that Paul was. But here in Colossians 4, everybody, any ordinary person, a believer can be committed by lip as well as by life to witness to the saving message. This all flows out of our identity. To just pop into Colossians chapter 4 without having looked at Colossians 1 through 3 kind of robs us a little bit here of the impact of what it is to be a believer and what it is to have the risen Christ reigning within us and to be seated with Him and to set our affections above on Him. In chapter 1, he talks about how the Colossians were rescued. In verse uh, 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which he had to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for, for you in heaven, where have you heard before? In the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come to you as it is in all the world, and brings forth fruit. As it does also in you, since the day you heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth. 
So they had been rescued, and the gospel had been bearing fruit. They had been transferred, uh, in verse 13, delivered from the power of darkness, and translated into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom they had redemption through his blood, the wiping away of their sins against God. They were rescued. Then in chapter 2, they were rooted. Rooted in verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving, and to beware of those things which would distract from that. Then chapter 3, they have been raised, rescued, rooted, and raised. If ye then be risen with Christ, since you are raised with the living Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection, your mind, your desires on things above, not on things of the earth. For your old life, your old man, before Christ, for you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then she also appear with him in glory. Therefore you can die to the old life and live to the new life. You're raised. And then he goes through some of the... Uh, ordinary life of, of people. Um, their roles as husbands, fathers, wives, uh, children, uh, 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 servants, masters, etc. So it comes to Colossians chapter 4. If Colossians 1 through 3 root us in the identity, then Colossians, the rest of chapter 3, and Colossians 4 now connect us to this truth that the life of being in the Lord is not something just to be enjoyed for its own sake. But there are new responsibilities as well as the privileges of Colossians 1-3. through And so Paul here is bringing in the letter of Colossians to its close. He has begun with thanksgiving, as we saw in Colossians 1, for God's worldwide work through the gospel in Colossians 1-3-8. And his thoughts now are turning to that work and his part in it. And as he shares his part in it as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he doesn't turn away from the Colossians, but says, join me in this. Join me in this. Join me in it globally and join me in it locally. So he's claiming them as partners. And he sets before them in some specific instructions, tasks, that would be appropriate for them, though they are not called apostles and though they are not uh, have the same level of responsibility and the same role, but he gives them tasks appropriate to them as a new community, as a church in Christ and in Colossae. And if so to them, then us as well. And the first thing I want you to see here is he's asking them to communicate with God. Communicate with God. Look what he says in verse 2. Continue in prayer. That the idea there of that word continue in the original means continue earnestly in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Be vigilant in this prayer with thanksgiving. Now why, could, why would he tell them to continue in prayer and be vigilant in this prayer with thanksgiving? Because the prayer comes out of the thanksgiving of who they are in Christ in, verses, in chapters 1, 2, and 3. If you read chapters 1, 2, and 3, and you understand where you were before Jesus, and what Jesus did to lift you out of the dust, you can do nothing but offer thanksgiving. 
And it's to fuel their prayer. When they understood their identity, when they understood what Jesus had done with them, now they can say, and I want this to be done for others as well. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And so he's going to talk to them about engaging as partners in his global mission. So there's a continuing earnestly, there's being a, vig- a, a vigilance in it, there's a thanksgiving that comes out of this, and there's an intercession of praying on behalf of others that comes out of this as well. Verse 3, he says, Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door of utterance, a door of speech, communication, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Praying also for Paul and his apostolic teams here of seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. But pray for us that God would open a door. You see, it wasn't enough for Paul just to go places here. He also was dependent on the Lord to open opportunities. And he's going to link that then in the following verses with what they needed to pray and what their eyes needed to be open to. Open opportunities. You say, well, Paul, can't you just go through and bust down doors, right? Why do you have to wait for God to open doors? Because Paul understands that the Lord is always working. He's always behind the scenes. And that the Holy Spirit is far ahead of the reports that come later on. And so Paul wants to know where God was leading here. And that, um, that, that, that the mystery of Christ would be made clear to them. So he says that God would open us a door for the word, for speech. Speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. What is that phrase, the mystery of Christ? Very simply, it's the, and he uh, explains this in chapter 1 here, it's a secret plan of God for the salvation of the world that's been known through and in Jesus Christ. It's a mystery consistent in Christ that Christ now, through what he's accomplished, can be Christ in you through the hope of the gospel. Who Jesus is, what he has achieved, and a message that powerful challenges other power structures in this world. And so that's why he has to say, and that's why I'm in chains right now. He's writing this from prison. He has made this uh, gospel manifest plain, clear, as he ought to speak. And he is in prison for it now. He, he, and, and it, 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 it is a dangerous thing. He's showing it's, it's, it, there is a cost to it. But he wants, them, he wants them to pray that he would make it clear that he is under obligation not to just spout off Bible verses, as powerful and important as that is, but he wants that to be understood, that he wants to be able to explain that that he is under obligation to speak the mystery of Christ in such a way that it brings true knowledge and understanding to his hearers. And he knows he can't do that himself. So he's asking for them to pray that the Holy Spirit is at work as he ought to speak. As he ought to speak. Which kind of gives us an example, then, of what he's going to tell them. It says, communicate with God so that you can communicate with with people, with people. Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, the outsiders, those that do not know Christ, redeeming the time. 
Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So communicate with God. Now, communicate with God for the global mission and also for your local mission. And now communicate with people for your local mission. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. What he means is this. They are to ensure that their lives and their speech reflect that same mystery of the gospel, the hidden wisdom of God. You could say it this way. Be wise in the way you act. Walk in wisdom. In other words, follow Christ as God's pattern for full and authentic human living in Christ. And their lives are to reflect this wisdom towards, toward outsiders. In other words, they're not just supposed to shoot off the head. They're supposed to be in tune with God and walking in line with the Lord. Now, Paul knew very well, you read the book of Acts, you read some of the things he writes in the letters, uh, of the importance of giving the world no reason to criticize or gossip about the behavior of Christians. He knew the downsides of that. He knew the ill effects of believers who say they believe one thing and the integrity of their life is lacking. And their lives reflect a wisdom in Christ, a blameless life, not a perfect life, but, listen, a repentant life. A repentant life. Because it laid the foundation for gracious witness. And so here he's talking about that one wing of the airplane that we looked at last time in Titus 2 and 3. And now he's going to say, make the most of every opportunity. That word redeeming a time, it means buying up or buying out. It's, it's the idea that every opportunity is to be snapped up like a bargain. How many of you get Easter candy or Halloween candy after Easter Halloween, right? Or those after Christmas specials when things go on sale, right? You stock up. Um, you, you, you buy, you snap it up like a bargain, Right? Or you go to Martin's, right? Because if you don't, you should have bought it. Every opportunity is to be snapped up like a bargain here. And so Paul's telling us that we are running against the clock. Running against the clock. Someone pointed out to me this week that um, for, if, you, if you run in the Boston Marathon, there's generally two kinds of runners. There's people who say, I ran in the Boston Marathon to check it off, right? And then there's people who run in the Boston Marathon. People who, who, uh, who, who are running against the clock, and they are, are, they, they've done this before, and they're trying to better their time. Uh, it's their, they, they take it seriously, and it's not the only marathon they do. And Paul here is telling us, in a sense, that's the kind of mentality we have to have as believers, that... This isn't a, oh, I hope I can do this kind of a thing. But that time is running out. And so there is an urgency here. There is an incentive to us to, to, to take up and buy up the opportunities to walk in wisdom when we recognize the time. Have you ever had those epiphanies of time? By that I mean this. Did you ever look back at a memory and then realize how long ago that was? And it seems just like yesterday. Those are little epiphanies here about the fleetness of time. Um, uh, realizing, wow, 
so many years ago that was then, and so many years ago, or so many years from now, that same amount of time, this is what will occur. This is what will happen. Or have you ever had some close calls and experiences that you're like, whoa. Someone pulled out in front of you, or you pulled out in front of you, didn't see something, or or whatever it might be, right? And you start your your mind starts to wrap itself around eternity a little bit. You get a little window into those experiences, and it's and it's and it's and it's shocking, isn't it? And Paul says there is an urgency that makes you appreciate and wake up a little bit. He says, saying, wake up. There's, a, there's an urgency. You remind us of the shortness of time. And so, in wisdom, buy up opportunities. And how do you do that? Well, there's a few things I think you need to recognize. One of these is this. That God is always at work around you. You've heard me say this a few times. God is always at work around you. He is not absent from this world. He didn't wind the clock, throw it out there to the world, and turn around and say, alright, you guys take care of things. He's at work. And he's pursuing worshipers. And pursuing relationships with a relationship that is real and personal. And he, as you're as 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 you are his children, he has invited and commanded us to become involved with him in his work. And God is always at work and he's nudging us by the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, through the church, is nudging us toward his will. God's invitation is for us to work with Him. And since that is true, there will always come a time where our faith then will have to meet action. That we'll have to obey the Lord. And we have to make major adjustments in our lives. Things we need to take away or things we need to put on here to join God and what He's already doing. And as we as we obey Him and as we participate in Him and love Him, and He accomplishes His work through us as instruments, we know God in a deeper and fuller way. So walk in wisdom, buying up opportunity. That's Paul saying engage in this, uh, this great mission that God is already at work at. And so exercise uh, an urgency in the opportunities that God gives us. But listen... Some of you are like, yeah, do it, right? Now he's going to balance this out. Okay? He's going to balance this out. Um, you can exercise physically with an urgency and jerk all kinds of weight around, right? But what happens when you don't do that the proper way? You hurt yourself. And if you got other people exercising around you, you could hurt them too, right? Well, listen, as important as this truth is that our time is short and we are to look up, uh, look for opportunities and buy up opportunities, we also need to know that there is a balance and a right way to do it. There is a, a right way to do it that if you don't, it's going to hurt other people as well. So we understand our limitations. We understand the opportunities. We're, we're never going to have a perfect scenario where this is all going to just be, be perfect. And so there's going to be a balance here of urgency with tact. We don't want to be neglectful. We want to be, have a sense of urgency, but we want to be tactful at the same time. And so look what he says in verse 6. 
God's given us so much wisdom here. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Okay? So here's what he's saying. Along with the idea of urgency and buying up opportunities, we are to be careful with our speech. We're to work at making our witness compelling. We're to make sure that we ourselves have mastered the basics of our faith so that we may know how to answer everyone. Look what he says at the end of verse 6, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. It sounds like 1 Peter 3.15, doesn't it? Uh, Answer implies that unbelievers will see this wing of the airplane of new life and love and serving the Lord and change. And it will provoke holy curiosity. And so Paul's advice to the Christians here is not to say, get better techniques to approach people, etc. Rather, it's this. Their privilege and working where God is already working, simply put, is this. To answer everyone. To be able to answer everyone. What does that mean? It's a very curious kind of phrasing here, to answer. That means they are to respond to the questions of others. You might say, well, that doesn't sound like I'm buying up opportunities or initiating conversations. And here's the truth. When we're engaging with the Lord and we're in tune with His Spirit, we are to accept the openings that God has already made. Now, some of you hear that and you say, well, that sounds like sounding the retreat. And nothing could be further from the truth here. Because Paul believes that opportunities for response and explanation are to be found everywhere. And Paul believes that Christians should be found everywhere too. Ready to take up these frequent opportunities. The problem is us seeing the opportunities. Walking in wisdom. Divine appointments here. I'm going to tell you that that removes understanding that God is already at work. He's providing opportunities for us. That removes tremendous amount of stress and strain and pressure from you. Pressure to uh, uh, um, uh, do things in a very abnormal way. But here's your responsibility as local missionaries. Be ready and willing to respond the way it is opened up to a more uh, to, 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 a, to, a, to a greater opportunity to give glory to the Lord. That is, that is a much more successful when we're working with the Lord than it is barging through in our own power to the day's opportunities. And so you begin your day saying, Lord, give me opportunities. And then in faith, you look for those opportunities and God puts those right in front of you. You go through them. Go through those doors. It opens the way for a greater dependence on God's leading as well as a more... Um, uh, as well as, as, as God using you and your personality and the way he's gifted you to reach people rather than trying to follow this cookie-cutter approach or this person or the way this person does it. 
I have this slide up on the screen, you're probably wondering what it's for here. I'm going to talk about it a little bit here to close up uh, and, and, and flesh out a little bit more of what this speech here that he talks about, that he says is to be seasoned, is to be with grace, a graciousness, and to be seasoned with salt, a, a winsomeness to it. Um, so you may know how you answer. How do you have intentional gospel conversations? Well, you have to spend time with non-Christians, and this is my biggest weakness. You have to spend time with non-Christians. Our identity is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, right? An ambassador of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, how do you have intentional gospel conversations with something you learn over meals, at parties, your lunch break, while you're at the park, at an event, uh, a concert, etc. here? Um, and so let me just share a few things here that are kind of broken down uh, here in this particular chart, which I found on a witnessing um, uh, 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 guy, witnessing website, that I thought the principles here are very helpful. And these things work together. They're not separate things. They're complementary. They work together. Uh, they build on each other. They can go in deeper and deeper cycles here. They're building on each other over time. Progress might be slow. It could be fast, depending on where that person is. But the, the idea is being faithful, making consistent investments. And the first thing, to move people from just a contact to an acquaintance, to a friend, to a disciple, is God opens up opportunities like we looked at with that one wing of the airplane in Titus 2 and 3 of serving people and blessing them. God always blesses people to bless others. And as you're deepening relationships with people, you're, being a, you're, you're working at being a thoughtful person, a kind person. No strings attached. If they don't respond later on to your message, you're not going to abandon the relationship and stop being nice to them. And we do tend to do that. But looking for regular, tangible ways to serve and bless them. Range of things big and small. Bringing them their favorite coffee or snack. And I'm not talking about bait and switch here. Being kind to someone just so you can sit down and share the gospel, alright? People can sniff through that like they did, right, with Kathy, right? <laughs> they, they, they wanted to sniff that out, right? Are you just doing this so you can convert me kind of thing? No, I love you and I care for you. Um, uh, lunches, uh, helping with a, with a project, or blessing with birthdays, anniversaries, or Christmas gifts, or offering to babysit so they can, a tired couple can go out on a date. But serving and blessing consistently in these ways. And then there's a part that a lot of us have trouble doing. We have two ears and one mouth. And James tells us to be swift to hear and slow to speak. We need to listen to people. We need to listen to people. Not because they necessarily are going to have great pearls of wisdom, but it is an act of love to listen to people. I was um, speaking to somebody who was asking for counseling this week, and... Um, and uh, the, 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 he wanted to know how to witness to a particular uh, person who he had come in contact with through his business. And, um, and uh, <clears throat> it sounded like the guy who he wanted to witness to needed someone to listen to him so that then this person could share good news and hope with him. Well, Paul's advice here is not, is not having us have better techniques here, but to love people 
to love people, to take the opportunity to take relationships deeper. And to do this, we have to love people enough to be motivated to pursue their stories. Everybody has a basic framework of the story of their life. If you ask them what makes them tick or what got them here, they have uh, something that was things when things were okay, something that occurred in their life that kind of messed things up for them, and then something that they think will make their life better. We can, we can ask lots of questions, be good listeners, because we'll also hear how to serve them better and how to wisely respond and, and with, with speech, that is with grace and, and season with salt. We might hear some of the reasons they're distant from God or their beliefs about God. Let me uh, illustrate it to you this way. People are like full cups of water. Their lives are very busy and very full. And when you take truth and just pour on top of that, it's probably going to spill over. If you pour in a cup that's already full, it spills onto the floor. And sometimes in our zealousness to share the good news, we can overdo it. And we just pour right on top. And then that water's wasted because they don't realize their cup needed to be empty. But when you take the time to listen and you take sips out of that cup, you're providing space for truth to go into. There's a capacity for you to share something that's going to impact their hearts as you know their story in greater and greater detail. And now you know what passage of scripture to take them to or what encouraging word to say. Now you know how to pray for them because you've taken the time to listen. quick to listen. And obviously these aren't hard and fast rules for every single conversation, right? There might be people whose cup is so drained and empty God says pour into it right now. But you have to be sensitive to the Spirit in that. And then there's your story. You see there's going to be parts of your story that are going to connect with their story. We already know that from the Bible. The Bible tells us we're all sinners in one sense, right? At the same time, we're also image bearers of God. So there's good and bad that you can connect with. There's just common things, similarities or contrasts. They grew up in a big city. Uh, you grew up in the country. Or you grew up in a big city. There's, there's, there's going to be a variety of things. Likeness or contrast means you're always going to have opportunities to talk about their story, make connections. Time and time again. Um, and then there's the Lord's story. There's the Lord's story. The Word of God. God's story. What God is doing through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Because as we begin to know that person better and get into their story and share more deeply from our story, there will be increasing opportunities to ask them about spiritual things in a natural way or make spiritual connections to their own story in a natural way. Or might give you opportunity, as some couple people mentioned today, to pray for them. What a, what a huge door opener there. Or share with them about the role that prayer plays in your lives, or your families, and the practical details of your life. Or how being in Christ helps you here with how you approach work, or marriage, or finances, or business, or parenting, or rest, etc. here. Jim Peterson worked with the Navigators um, 
organization, uh, organization of evangelizing and discipleship. He wrote a book on evangelism uh, here, but he tells a story of a Mario, a friend from South America, who had studied the Bible with for four years before uh, Mario became a Christian. And the Bible studies reflected uh, the fact that Mario had been a, a Marxist uh, intellectually, he read, had read all the leading Western philosophers. And a couple of years after Mario did come to the Lord, after his conversion, Jim and Mario were going over the time that they had spent together before Mario was saved. And Jim said, do you remember what, uh, and Mario said, do you remember what it really was that made me decide to become a Christian? And Peterson thought of all the Bible studies they had done and their philosophical discussions. And Mario's reply just stopped them in his tracks. Mario said, remember that first time I stopped by your house? We were on our way someplace together and I had a bowl of soup with you and your family. And as I sat there observing you, your wife and your children and how you related to each other, I asked myself, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiancé? When I realized that the answer was never, I concluded I had to become a Christian for the sake of my own survival. Peterson didn't remember that. What he remembered was his children behaving badly, his frustration in having to correct them in front of Mario. But Mario, over time, saw the grace of Christ that brought that family together as a repentant family. And years later, Peterson said this about that. We tend to see the weaknesses and incongruities in our lives, and our reaction is to recoil at the thought of letting outsiders get close enough to see us as we really are. Even if our assessment is accurate, it is my observation that any Christian who is sincerely seeking to walk with God, in spite of all his flaws, is reflecting something of Christ. God's story. So that we can get to Jesus. 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 Opportunities to talk clearly about Jesus. When Paul says, pray for me, that I have open doors of opportunities and I speak clearly about the mystery, that's what he's talking about. How Jesus had changed his life. Why you needed Jesus to change your life. How he can change their lives. That's the answer to the sin they're facing. That condemns them to an eternity without God. Puts blockade between God and fellowship with him. And how Jesus is the only way to have a restored relationship with God and provide abundant life. <clears throat> let, me, um, let me throw out two names to you that will seem totally unrelated. Jerry Falwell, Larry Flint. Jerry Falwell, well-known Christian leader, he's gone to be with the Lord. Larry Flint ran Hustler magazine, pornographic well, uh, magazine. You probably had different reactions if you knew those names when you heard those names. But Jerry Falwell's son, Jonathan, shares a conversation between uh, 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 Jerry Falwell and the publisher of Hustler magazine. Years ago, Jonathan was traveling with his dad to Florida, where Jerry Falwell was debating Larry Flint. <coughs> and Jonathan said this, Mr. Flint asked my dad if he could give him a ride back to Lynchburg in my dad's jet. Dad said yes, so he traveled to the airport and boarded a beautiful black and gold Gulfstream 3. As he flew to Virginia, I sat across from Dad and Mr. Flint 
as they had a long conversation about sports, food, politics, and other ordinary topics. I was amazed and bewildered because they kept talking like old friends. After we dropped off Mr. Flynn in Litchford, I asked Dad, how could you sit on that plane and carry on a conversation with Larry Flint as if you guys were lifelong buddies? Dad, he's the exact opposite of everything you believe in. He does all the things you preach against, and yet you are treating him like a member of your own church. Why? Dad's response changed my whole outlook, outlook on ministry. Jonathan, he said, there's going to be a day when Larry is hurting and lonely, and he'll be looking for help and guidance. He's going to pick up the phone and call someone who can help him. I want to earn the right to be that phone call. And so here in Colossians 4, Paul's thought has become full circle in the book of Colossians. He began with a report of his thankful prayer for the Colossians and the fruit of the gospel that he received is now starting to, 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 to crop up in his work of the gospel. Let me just show you chapter 1, verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation or the commission, the stewardship of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereto I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now he's ended in Colossians 4 here. With this request, that they pray as he prays and work as he works. Their prayer and their life, like His. Him globally working, them locally working, are united together in partnership for the sake of the gospel. There to be expressions of the loving wisdom of God reaching out in Christ to save the world. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would take our sense of eternity and our urgency, and I pray that you would fire it up. I pray that you would stamp the reality of time ticking away on our eyes. And Lord, you would balance that out with the need to be engaged with you, cooperating and partnering with you, who is always at work, seeing the blatant opportunities and pushing through those 
And doing so with words. Doing so with listening ears that are gracious, that are seasoned with salt, so that more people can be brought into your kingdom and transferred from darkness to light, just as you so graciously did to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.